The Fraser Institute is well known amongst people in South Africa. The mining sector puts a lot of credence on what the Fraser Institute tells us. Unfortunately, the news there hasn't been very good. But it also compiles annually the Economic Freedom of the World report. And Neil Emmerich, who's with the Free Market Foundation, in this capacity anyway, has been following this for many years. It's been going since 1975. But unfortunately, since the year 2000, we've been on the slide. We'll see how bad it was in the latest numbers. Neil, thanks for joining us. Uh, I've been following this for a while as well, Not obviously not nearly as closely as you have. What brought your interest into the Economic Freedom Report from the Fraser Institute? Well, I think I was attracted to um, to the uh, report for the same reasons that the authors were, which was that uh, Milton Friedman, originally and Michael Walker from the Fraser Institute, wanted to make the uh, um, the ideological argument that economic freedom was good for people, good for economies, um, but didn't really have a way of objectively measuring that and proving to people that it mattered. Um, so, if you if you're going to make the case, then you need you need to objectively be able to sort of uh, measure, measure economic freedom. So that was the task they set about in 1975. Um, the index itself came out of a project sort of in 1995. So the report's been published since 96. Um, and in that time, they've slowly developed the academic profile of the report. So it's made up of various parameters. And there's a, there's a methodology that we can, we can get into. Um, and then slowly over the years, it's been improved and improved and it's used as, as an academic tool in uh, econometric studies of what correlates to the economic outcomes that we want. So things like economic growth, better literacy levels in poorer countries, or better health levels. So what, what is it that influences those? And economic freedom is, is a very, very strong correlate with all of those good things. It is interesting when, as an outsider, looking at this um, in preparation for this discussion, there was a very clear correlation between countries that are successful and places where the economic freedoms are the greatest. In other words, where we as citizens of a country have the, the ability to decide how to, where to work, what to work in, where to put our money, etc. Uh, that makes for far, far better economic outcomes. Here in South Africa, however, we ideologically are going in the wrong direction and not surprisingly, the economic freedom index again showed us up really poorly. Maybe take us through the South African results and we can discuss them in a bit more detail. Mm, sure. Okay. Well, uh, the report itself is broken down into five categories and the categories themselves break down into further parameters, but we can sort of summarize those and, and uh, show what's going on. Um, so if I, if, I, if I look at the size of government overall, by the way, we, we ranked 94th this year, which was pretty much the same as last year. Um, so there, there hasn't been a great deal of change there. Um, 91st last year. 93rd. It, it, it changes a little bit because each year they have to update the numbers and everything. So each report in its own stands alone in its own, uh, on its own legs. Um, you may have been 91st or 90th a year uh, prior, but as they update more data, they can correct some of the numbers. So, you know, the, the latest report is always the most accurate and the most historically accurate. So it, it may happen that we change a ranking or two when you look at last year's numbers 
uh, compared to what this report, this year's numbers say last year was. But maybe the, the, the relevance there is that back in the year 2000, the country was 32nd. So we've really fallen a long, long way. We, we have, and, that, and that's what you really need to be looking at. You're looking at uh, large trends. If we move up a, a ranking or two each year, it, it's really sort of meaningless. But we're, we're very much interested in the trends. Um, you could see some country like Venezuela, for example, who also started in the mid-rankings and then suddenly over seven, eight years just tanked all the way to the bottom. Um, so that that was uh, you know visible, and and we can see the progressive decline in in the economic freedom levels in South Africa. You know, sort of ten rankings every every year, and the points are going down. So, um, yeah, let's let's start. Let's uh, the size of government uh, really looks at a couple of things. We score poorly on the extent of the government, so its level of consumption is very high relative to the GDP. Um, we rank 119th in the world out of 165 countries. So. We're very much in the sort of bottom quartile as far as this score goes. We have a large spending government that we know is actually has a large government debt to back that up at the moment. Um, and then we also have a, a very, very high top tax rate, um, which one might argue, you know, sort of threatens the entrepreneurial spirit in the country. Um, our top rate tax kicks in at sort of 1.8 million, which sounds very, very high. That's in South African terms, that's 95,000 US dollars. But the top tax rate in the U.S. only kicks in at five hundred eighty thousand dollars. So there's a there's a very large difference there, and so we're we're comparing that ranking. I think the thing that really impacted me when I looked through it was on all five of those areas we've gone backwards. Legal system and property rights that's down. Access to sound money even there we down. Freedom to trade internationally from six and six point five to six point four three. Not much, but. When you've got mm, two-thirds of your GDP is reliant on trade, that's not good news. And regulation of credit labor business, that's down quite a lot from 7.16 to 6.35. Maybe, maybe that's one worth dwelling on because it is a big decline. Was there anything in particular that would have caused that? On the regulation side? Indeed. Yes. Well, we, we're a historic bad performer. I mean, since 1996 and the uh, labor legislation that was enacted, I mean, we have always just performed very, very poorly on the hiring and firing practices, which are quite onerous, and collective bargaining, minimum wage uh, law, which of course has, has been recently changed, but that won't even reflect yet because this uh, this set of numbers only goes up to 2021. Um you're quite right. There's there's 15 variables in this category, and and every single one of them has sort of declined a, a full percentage. Sorry, a full point in the scores one out of ten. Um, the credit uh, markets and so on are substantially taken up by government debt now, rather than private sector credit. So that is something that you can see uh, declining from a score of 9.22 at the, in 2000 to 2.63 this year, which is is significant. So a very large amount of borrowing taking place with the government, which we know, and that's making the news. And thankfully, you know, the index is picking that up. Um, we get a couple of new parameters this year because um, the World Bank Development Report, which was a foundation for the uh, the EFW report, um, has stopped publishing numbers. So this year, they've had to um, use the Economist's um, uh, information unit, and they, they, they're getting a few extra uh, variables from them. So we've got a new one this year, which is called flexible wage determination, and that very much looks at you know to what degree the employers and employees are able to negotiate their own terms, and you know that 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 one we score four point one out of um, ten. So you can see it's those areas of business. It's the red tape. South Africa has you know continually 
put burdens on its businesses. Um, the government has continually spent more and more. It's borrowing that money in order to spend more. It's not spending it on investment. It's spending it on salaries. And it's just, you can see this slow chipping away at our overall freedoms. And we're just, we're just um, diminishing the investment environment. I had a fascinating discussion today with Melanie Vaness, who's the chair of the Association of Chambers of Commerce in South Africa. She's been running the Peter Maritzburg and Midlands, KZN Midlands Association, very, very uh, well for 13 years. And she has now got hutful. And she's saying they need to fire the board, fire the, the management of, tel- of uh, Transnet, um, the transnet is a complete disaster. She calls it an epic failure. And yet they don't even realize that there's anything wrong. They don't want help from the private sector. It's almost like you've got to ask when other people in business are going to see data like this from the Fraser uh, Institute and say enough is enough. But why not? Why? why? I'd, I'll tell you a little later what her theory is why it's taken so long for her to get for her and the uh, and the chambers to get hot for why do you think south african business hasn't really been speaking a lot more aggressively given the data which is pretty damning that's a you know it's a very very good question i mean i i would only be speculating um you know why has business been so quiet over the last 20 years and I would have to say it's probably because of South Africa's unique history. I mean, uh, we went through a terrible political time, something that was judged, you know, a crime against humanity. Now, 20 years after that, the first election, it's still not very long in terms of a country coming to terms with its with its guilt, maybe businesses' participation in that those those activities at the time. So I think there was a, a benefit of the doubt given to the new government for many, many years. Um and yet, the numbers haven't lied. We've seen, on you know, in, in an empirical fashion, we've seen that uh, decline in and the pot boiling, so to speak. If we're the fraud, um, whether this is now the time that business is ready to speak up, I, I'm um, excited if they are. I think that's very healthy in any democracy. Um, it's got to be good. I mean, if they're just pointing out the dangers or bringing to the government's attention numbers like these, um, it's got to help. I would qualify. I mean, I'm, I'm normally the prophet of doom each year I present this report, and there certainly as the slide has been taking place. But um, South Africa might feel that it's our precipice, but the, the numbers don't bear that out yet. Now, I'd be curious to, to ask you whether you think we are at the limit, but we are still very much in the sort of middle, middle income, not quite a performer, a bit of a laggard. We're kind of the, the kids sitting at the back of the class, unfortunately. But I, I don't think we're about to go off the cliff yet, or at least it's not showing up. We do not look like Venezuela at this point. Okay, fair comment. Um, however, South Africa was in the second quartile until 2014. Now we're in the third quartile. Now we're behind Kenya and Uganda. And I don't think I'd like to go and live in Kenya and Uganda and certainly not run a business there. And the Gambia is ahead of us. The who? Mauritius is in 17th place. We're at, as you said earlier, 94th. The Seychelles is at 38th. We're now getting into the league of Russia, 110. China, a little way off Zimbabwe, Gabon, Guinea, Sudan, Syria, Congo, CAR, Iraq, but heading in that direction. 
So what what uh, Melanie Vaness said, and it's interesting you used that analogy of a, a frog being boiled. She said it's almost like we as business have been this frog that was boiled slowly, slowly, slowly. But now we look at Transnet and the government monopolizes our imports and exports through its ownership of the ports. And we can't get stuff in and we can't get stuff out. And two-thirds of our business activity is to do with getting stuff in and stuff out. How are we, how are we supposed to make a business here? And she says that that is what is, is almost what has tipped the, the scales. In her opinion, the tipping point has been reached. And I think that the, all of those facts that you, you uh, articulated earlier are true. But there must come a point where those who have been given the benefit of the doubt have either got to put up or shut up or get out and uh, <laughs> be voted out as, as uh, or at least put different people in. Don't put your cadres in there who are just sucking the system dry, as we see at Transnet. She says, uh, Melanie says that, and it's, it's, it's illustrative of what's happening in many other parts, that the cadres who've been deployed into Transnet don't even know how useless they are. And they are, uh, we heard from the chief executive, Portia Derby, saying, well, we can't make the rails much better because that, w- that would affect road traffic. For heaven's sake, it's, a, it's just, it's like clueless, doesn't even begin to interpret it. And I think that's, that's really the frustration that many South Africans have got. Here is a, a reputable, uh, well, the gold medal in uh, reporting on how the world is, is how what makes the world what makes business work what cuts unemployment what makes prosperous societies and it aligns with freedom as you've explained very well and yet we are continuing to follow the opposite path it it just boggles the mind and for someone like you who's been working on this for how many years and seen the continuous slide it's hard to get to, to see the the upside, I think I think there's one dynamic at play here that might might be different this year, which is that we've been singing this song to the ANC for the last twenty years, warning them, advising them, um, warning them about the the dangers of the ideology that they were espousing. Now the ANC is a broad church, so there were there were receptive ears within the organisation, but of course there's a tug of war going uh, with other people. But the reality is that I don't think this report uh, was pushed enough with the opposition parties, principally because at the time and over the last 20 years that they weren't very you know, viable in terms of the, the voting majorities. That looks like it's about to change. What I'd certainly like to see is a very positive adoption of this sort of message coming from some of the platforms. You know, It's one thing for the various opposition parties to say that they're not ANC, but what are they for? Um, I'd like to think the DA are a sort of a market-orientated um, organization. Uh, Rizam Zanzi as well sort of thing. Action SA uh, is run by the former chairman of the Free Market Foundation, Herman Mashaba. So there's, there's very much a sort of a market thing. But I think they have to package it in such a way that's palatable to the public um, because they've been listening to an anti-market story for 25 years. But we've seen the, the results of that. I'd be very interested to see these policies put forward on the platforms for next year you know, in a positive way rather just than just anti-ANC as a true alternative to what's been going on. 
And it certainly is plenty of evidence that this report provides, which then aligns with the awful economic performance. People forget South Africa's grown at an average of 1% GDP for the last 10 years. Absolutely. And our unemployment levels are ridiculous. And population's grown at 1.6%. So we're going backwards at a, at a rate of knots. The report each year publishes five or six graphs that sort of um, espouse the benefits of economic freedom. They correlate it with an economic number that would be interesting. So income per capita and the longevity, you know, you live to 80 in a free country and so on, and 65 in a poor country. But the one I like the most is the income earned by the poorest 10%. Because often the ideology that's espoused from the left is that if we have free markets, we're going to have very high levels of inequality and that the poor will suffer and it's the working man that, that, that bears the brunt. And that's not borne out by the statistics. So if we take the entire economic freedom a set of countries, we split them into quartiles, the poorest 10% in the bottom quartile earns $1,700 a year. But if you are in the poorest 10% in the high freedom countries, you earn $14,000 a year. That's eight times more. So one of the most, I think, important numbers for this is to show that where you have free markets and open economies and trade, the poor are richer by far. And they know this, of course, because that's where they travel. You see them going from low countries to high countries in migration. But it's such a, um, an incredible uh, response to the accusation that, uh, that markets will create inequality. Okay, so how do you get that message through to those who are still voting for the politicians who tell them the opposite? Uh, <laughs> that's not uh, my job, unfortunately. But uh, yes, I don't, I don't know. I mean, these are these are complex messages. Um, they have to be filtered and packaged in some sense that it can, you know, reach the rural areas and, and sort of you know the less economically minded minds. Um, but it shouldn't. The basic value should appeal, which is that: Do you want to be told what to do? Do you want to be told what you can earn or can't earn, or you don't get a job simply because that? If the platform has to be about jobs next year. And the only way that those jobs are going to happen is if you let businesses fly. And that's the platform that the opposition party should be coming to the table with. So what's your message then to Herman Mashaba, John Stienhaisen, um, Velen Cosini, Labisa, and the other people who are market-driven or more open society-driven than the socialists on the, uh, of the ANC and the EFF? I think the first thing would be to accept that we are not exceptional that we can learn from other countries. So the exercise of this economic report to show that countries are comparable and the policies are comparable, we can adopt them. Um, South Africa's uh, ailments are not coming from outside. We're not going to be in a position to blame China continually or, or blame Europe. So these decisions and these policies, and we can see the countries that have failed over the last sort of 10 years, been tracked by the index, are policy decisions. They're not external factors exogenous to the country. They are choices that are made by the government of the day. My message to these uh, opposition parties would be choose the right policies, understand them, take them to the, to the voting public and, and let them and persuade them that this is the way forward and this will solve the problems that we're currently suffering from. Neil Emmerich with the Free Market Foundation. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com.